Hey guys, quick note before we get started. The podcast and blog have been much more sporadic than I would like them to be lately. It turns out introducing a rescue dog to a new house and a toddler is a bit of a time suck. Who knew? Please be patient as I work to get back on track. And with that, let's get on to the episode. It has become a commonplace of Shakespearean biography that, from roughly his age of 20 to his age of 28, we encounter the lost years. But no years are ever wholly lost. There may be a gap in the chronology, but the pattern of a life may be discerned obliquely and indirectly. Peter Ackroyd in Shakespeare, the Biography. From the birth of his twins to his arrival on the London theater scene, we have no record of what Shakespeare was doing. This isn't from lack of trying, but if you weren't getting baptized, married, or buried, if you weren't involved in a court case or a land purchase, and you weren't a member of the nobility, you basically didn't exist. If no one was writing about you, there would be no record. On top of that, Elizabethan record keeping wasn't exactly top notch. Keeping these records over the hundreds of years wasn't a top priority, and there were quite a few fires thrown in there for good measure. What does this all mean? Well, it means we will never be able to say for 100% certainty what Shakespeare was doing during these years. We can make educated guesses and speculate, but until a magic document shows up, there's no irrefutable proof. However, not all hypotheses are created equal. So it is worth examining the most prevalent theories and how likely or unlikely they are which is exactly what Eli and I will be doing today. So strap on your deductive reasoning caps and let's explore Shakespeare's lost years. Hello and welcome to Breaking Bard, a Ripe Good Scholar podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, also known as Ripe Good Scholar on a growing corner of the internet. I am joined, as always, by my husband, Eli. Hello. We're both kind of tired, because we've got a dog. I'm dying. Eli has a cold. Uh, Death is coming for me. I see the reaper. Anyway, getting back on topic. What's the topic? We're going to be talking about Shakespeare's lost years. Ooh. Because... I kind of assumed it was common knowledge, and then I mentioned it in one of our earlier podcasts, and you were like, what were the lost years? And I was like, what? Yeah, I have no idea what they are. Still don't. Usually I have a foggy idea of what they are, because you talk to me while you research the podcast. Basically, there is a seven-year period where we have no definitive record of anything Shakespeare did. So we just have no idea what was happening. Okay. So in 1585, his twins, Judith and Hamnet, were baptized in Stratford. Yes, his son's name was Hamnet. I'm sorry. I knew his son was named Ham or something similar to Hamlet, but Hamnet is adorable. I know, right? So anyway, they were baptized in 1585. So we have that record in the church records. 
and that the next record we have of Shakespeare is in 1592, and he's like a person of note in the London theater scene. Oh. This is when he appears in that groat's worth of wit that calls him an upstart crow. <laughs> so, wait. After a seven years silence, we have another record in which someone says he's an upstart crow. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's how you want to break onto the London theater scene. Yeah, so at this point, you know, he was already fairly well established. I think he had at least written a few plays. Um, They were starting to be performed with regularity. But there's pretty much no, between those years, no like, okay, this is for sure talking about William Shakespeare. Um, As we get into the different theories, I'll talk about some different kind of possible evidence, but for the most part, there's absolutely nothing. Okay, so was he abducted by aliens? Yes, that's it. Good job, dear. I'm good at this. Mystery solved, podcast over. It's that five minutes, boom. Anyway, um, so before we get into the theories, we have I want to take a moment to establish that gaps in the record are not something unusual for the time. Um, a lot of people look at this gap and use it as an argument, particularly in the authorship debate, that there's a period where we have nothing. And and not only that, but then in the spaces where we do have evidence, there's not a ton. So, I mean, when you say it's not unusual, he was a commoner, right? Yeah. So it's pretty amazing that we have any records. Well, yeah, I mean, he wasn't an absolute nobody in his own time. He did eventually get a coat of arms. His father was an alderman in Stratford. He um, bought like the second biggest house in Stratford. Shakespeare did. So it wasn't like he was, you know, the, the peasant working the field, but he wasn't nobility. It wasn't until much later in his life that he was even considered gentry. Interesting. He was considered gentry. Oh, because he got a coat of arms. Oh, okay, yeah. So and Ben Johnson apparently made fun of that quite a bit. Yeah? Yeah. A certain amount of assumption made that it was Shakespeare. I think it's like an educated guess that he was talking about Shakespeare because it was right around this time that Shakespeare got his coat of arms that like Ben Johnson's making comments about people who don't shouldn't really have coat of arms getting coat of arms. Okay. So it's like friends poking at each other. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, one, like I said, it's important to know that this isn't unusual. Mm -hmm. The the lack of documentary evidence isn't unusual and the gap isn't unusual. Um, You know, according, as I was, you know, doing a little bit of the research for this, um, I pulled a great quote from the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust. Um, Because I think it gives a good context where it says gaps in the records of people's lives are not unusual. So the notion of lost years might even be construed as being symptomatic of too much biographical expectation and entitlement. Interesting. And I think that's a perfect description of how we approach Shakespeare. Because so everybody's like, there's like no evidence. It's like if you told someone 
from Shakespeare's time. If you told Shakespeare in Shakespeare's time that, like, we were going to be interested in his biography, he'd be like, why? He'd I'm probably... just a baby. Well, I mean, we've lost entire plays that he wrote. Also, you wouldn't pull forward baby Shakespeare. Listen, I don't know how accurate this time machine is. <sighs> it's a very accurate time machine. Oh, it's I mean, very accurate. Anyway, my point is <laughs> that people weren't even interested in biographical information, except for, like, you know, Queen Elizabeth and, you know, King some James. of the nobility. Yeah. Apart from royalty and the nobility, which there's always kind of been a fascination with writing about. Plus, I mean, just, like, keeping court records was a thing. Yeah. Um... No one was really that interested in biographical information of anybody. And not only that, but it wasn't until about a hundred years after Shakespeare died that anybody made an earnest effort to find documentary evidence. Well, that's plenty of time for it to get lost. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, there were fires. Like, in Stratford, in the Globe, in Blackfriars. Now, There's how the do Great we, Fire of London. <laughs> how do we know this wasn't a ploy to hide the identity of a playwright who was kind of popular? So, like I said, you know, it, it's not unusual, but we do have a gap in the record. Like, you know, it wasn't even until... And, and, and it could, honestly, we could still find something at some point. It wasn't until recently that they figured out where one of the places he lived was in his early career. Was it in Stratford? No. Was it in London? Yes. Boom! Did it in two. I should be an archaeologist. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So good. Anyway, um, but by 1592, when he kind of reappears in the record, his plays are being produced, and he was a partner in a theater company. I mean, what's interesting to me is that it's treated as the lost years as though it's special when it seems pretty clear. It's because we can say, okay, at this point his children were born, and at this point he was established in the theater. So in those seven years, he went out to buy cigarettes and didn't come back. Boom. Well... Kind of. Um, <laughs> I should be an archaeologist. Okay. You know, we'll, we'll work on getting your honorary doctorate after this. Uh, we should submit this and I'll get one. Um, now, he does appear in one um, court document in 1589. It was a land dispute. I think it was actually his father's land dispute. Um, after kind of the lost years, he does a appear in some court records of his father's. Um, okay. So it's during that period? It is, but it's just like a mention of him. That like he exists. Ah. You know, I, I, like, I don't think it was like so-and-so versus William Shakespeare. I think it was like there was a land dispute in this court case and William Shakespeare was present. It just confirmed he existed during well, his lost nice. years. There are, I mean, there's like a million theories. I don't know. He became a frontman for a bunch of people who all wrote with a singular voice. Yeah, that's that's interesting that 
so many people could write so well that they had to all join together with their one voice. Yeah. And, well, and it's like they said. Poetry was obviously a shameful thing to do. That's why there are so many published records of nobility writing poetry to each other all yeah. the time. Yeah. My favorite all is. <laughs> my favorite is this assumes that, you know. Poetry written by committee is just the best best poetry. I know there are issues with textual analysis, um, particularly more when you're trying to be like, this person wrote this scene. Mm-hmm. But I know there has been a textual analysis done of the complete works that pretty much concluded, like, m- way more likely than not, they were written by the same person. Almost like the person whose name is on the plays wrote the plays. Don't be stupid. Nah, that can't be it. Probably aliens, or fairies, or Christopher Marlowe. All equally likely. Uh, There are a few theories that make sense. There are several theories. A few of those are pretty unlikely, and we'll start with those. Probably the least likely is that he either was in the military... Or it slash he people insist he must have traveled to Italy. Listen to Two Gentlemen of Verona podcast episode if you want to see why it's nonsense that he traveled to Italy. But I think that people forget that his sources for a lot of his plays set in Italy were Italian because there were there were translations of them of it, like Romeo uh. and Juliet is a real story. So people are like, how did he have such an intimate knowledge of Verona? I was like, maybe the Italian writer who wrote about it was in Verona. <laughs> no, it must be that he traveled. And, and the you're, reason, you're speaking crazy, lady. And the reason that the soldier part is highly unlikely is because we actually do have military records for the time. It would have been odd for him to have been in the military and not had a record survive. Also, I know we venerate the military these days but people in the past did not and he was neither rich enough nor poor enough to be in the military because if you were rich you'd be you know a knight or an officer and you'd be able to lead a bunch of poor people who were kidnapped and if your dad's the mayor you're probably not gonna get kidnapped and forced into the army yeah that's the most unusual all of them I, I I think there are multiple that honestly could have been true. I think probably next on my list of least likely would be Law Clerk. There are legal references in Shakespeare that even some of his earliest biographers, who again were writing in the 1700s, said that he must have had some sort of intimate knowledge of the law. Now, he wasn't a lawyer obviously because like that would have shown up somewhere but you know so and and also i want to say i want to say i read somewhere that like he knew some of the like shorthand that you would have seen in like law offices so perhaps he just served as a a clerk just like writing up things so what parts do people think show he has an intimate knowledge of the law because I'm st- stretching my brain, and I, and I don't think, you know, a comedy of errors... No. Well, no, it was an actual law that if you're married to a nun, you can get out of being executed for being in Verona. Obviously. 
Well, no, I don't think one. I think Commiverse is like the worst option to choose. I don't know for sure. Honestly, I it's one of the anti-Stratfordian texts I have to read on like Shakespeare and the law. But um I'd assume uh, like they show up in some of the histories, you know, they show up in Merchant of Venice. So Merchant of Venice, that's the pound of flesh but not a drop of blood. Yeah. It seems like an odd well, legal rule to, to draw from. Well, yes, and 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 again, this is probably where people are like, you know, oh well, he must have been in Italy because he wrote about Verona, that famous seaport. Uh, <laughs> like I said earlier, he does show up in um, as support for his father in some legal cases later in life. Not as a lawyer, but as someone helping him with kind of navigating the legal system. So I found that to be much more compelling as perhaps he had some basic knowledge. Interesting. So I don't know. It's, so it's maybe there. he was a law clerk and then went out for cigarettes and became a playwright. Another one that you know, I think he easily could have spent a few years doing is, you know, his father's business was a glover. Mm-hmm. So it's very possible he apprenticed for his father's business and helped there as a glover. Sure. I mean, I... It, that seems like a thing that could happen. Yeah, I mean, that seems reasonable to me that as he's figuring his life out in Stratford, he helps the family business. I found that a logical step in his life now correct me if i'm wrong but didn't apprenticeships start out like pretty early in life though probably after grammar school Hmm. yeah but you know again if he if he's an apprentice to his own father like there might not be a like record that's true you know he could probably also just handle the business side of the glovering now one that was um uh, I think a compelling theory that uh, Peter Ackroyd put forth in his biography of Shakespeare was that he was a tutor for a local family. There are some people who say he must have been like a schoolmaster or a teacher. Um, we actually do have records of like who were the Stratford teachers. So like, again, that would be something that actually would be odd if he was a schoolmaster and we just never knew about it. Now, Peter Ackroyd, he goes into a kind of network of connections that Shakespeare had with local Catholic families. We have to remember that most of Shakespeare's family probably was Catholic. Um, Those treasonous dogs. Well, I mean, the th- or at least were raised Catholic. Um, as, you know, and it was around the time Elizabeth really started cracking down on the Catholics that his father kind of like, while he was still an alderman, like retreated from official business and kind of didn't make a stink about anything and didn't do much of note so people say maybe perhaps he was trying to like lay low because he was a part of this like network of catholics i don't know so it would have oh, been elizabeth a ca- also had secret police so it's crazy time so it was a catholic network there was a family in um lancashire lancashire 
I'm not British, I'm sorry, of um, Alexander Houghton. And like, we know his wife was a devout Catholic. His brother was an exile for being Catholic. Oh, you know he his mom brought that up at like family dinners. Like, how come you're still here? Your brother's so Catholic, he's in exile. So anyway, in 1581, so this is before the Lost Years really started, but it could give us some insight as to like what he was doing. Alexander Houghton leaves, um, leaves his musical instruments and players' costumes to his half half brother Thomas with this proviso. And if he will not keep and maintain players, then it is my will that Sir Thomas Sir Thomas Hesketh Knight shall have the same instruments and play clothes and I most heartily require the said Sir Thomas to be friendly unto um, unto folk I do not know that word it's someone's name and William Shakespeare now dwelling with me and either to take them into his service or else help them to some good master as my trust is is he will um William Shakespeare yeah so, uh, Shakespeare Shakespeare yeah <laughs> <laughs> what Shakespeare <laughs> anyway so is that, um, is, that, is that the early modern english version of shaft who is the man <laughs> I'm just going to keep reading while you go on this rant. It's so um, Anyway, so at this point when this will was written, he's kind of shown as an actor in that household. But the theory being, being perhaps he was introduced to the household as a schoolmaster for the children. It was nearby to his house, so it's not unreasonable. Um, Makes sense. So anyway, there's there's that, that, you know, he could have been teaching during that time. Again, we don't know. That's why it's the lost years. Early as people were trying to find um, Shakespeare's biography, it was kind of local lore that he had been a teacher. Um, at that point, again, they had said that he, like, took over as the schoolmaster of Stratford, which... Unlikely. Yeah, unlikely. But perhaps he went to a local family um, and tutored and tutored the kids and that just and he was to, a tutor tutor he was a tutor tutor who tutored the tutor children yes so basically they were like oh he he like taught some kids or something and then like later on people were like oh Shakespeare he was a teacher and then later it was like oh he taught at the school yeah, you know, and and I think that, um, again, as Ackroyd sets up this kind of network of Catholic families, it, you know, it becomes more plausible that, like, these other local Catholic families kind of took in one of their own. Um, now, Shakespeare never, like, there, oh my god, there's been such debate for so long about whether or not Shakespeare was Catholic or Protestant. He was baptized Protestant. He was married Protestant. He didn't make any, like, you know, I think he didn't always attend church, but, like, besides that, there he was on no, like, secret police list of definite Catholics. You know, like, we don't know. We can never know the inner workings of the man's mind. Also, that's a really 
boring distinction these days. Yes. No one It was re- really important then, though. Yeah, it was really important then because you could get arrested and stuff. Or... Well, and I mean, also, like, that distinction was determining the future of the kingdom. True. Like, I'm. You had Henry, Edward, Mary, Elizabeth, and then, you know. Perhaps, you know, for a while there, it was like, well, maybe Mary, Queen of Scots, and we can be rightfully Catholic again. And then Elizabeth chopped her head off. No, you can't. But, like, I get... I get why it would be interesting to people at the time. But nowadays, we can look back and say, was he Catholic? Well, did it influence him in how he conducted his politics at all? Not apparently. So who cares? Well, I assume it's people trying to look for secret Catholic messaging in his writing. Now, for me, there is one quote-unquote theory that had to have happened. And that was that he joined an acting troupe at some point. Well, yeah, he was an actor. Yes, I know. Well, like, and that's what I mean. Like, people are like, he just showed up out of nowhere writing plays. And I'm like, well, no, we have this, we have a list of all the traveling troops of players that went through Stratford, like, during this period and just before. We have this guy's will who maybe was talking about William Shakespeare or a mysterious man named William Shakespeare. <laughs> who is the man? I don't know that Do you song. think he took over for being the spy after Marlowe died? Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Yes, Shake Shaft definitely. We need to make a new series of movies that's like 007-esque, but Shake Shaft. Shake Shaft. So with the Shake Shaft, were people like that loosey-goosey with their names back then? This is something He's shaking I need... something over there. This is something I need to do more research specifically into, but I mean, read any Elizabethan document. Spelling was not their strong suit. <laughs> Yeah, it was before spelling was a thing. You just yeah, kind of sounded you know, out everything. Yeah. And aggressively. I don't know how wills happened. Like, did someone dictate it who then copied it to the official document and we got this weird little game of telephone and it turned into William Shakespeare? I mean, William Shakespeare didn't even spell his name the same way on the three known signatures we have. People take that to mean he was illiterate, which I was like, if he was or nearly illiterate, um, I just don't think spelling mattered. Yeah. Like, I think if you were, again, the nobility, you probably signed your name the same way all the time, but besides that, spelling didn't matter. That's why I struggled so hard to read that will before, because he wrote it out, like, actually how it was written out. Oh, no. With, like, all the Y's instead of I's and... Ooh, Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was reading that like I've never read a book before. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, I'll probably cut out some of the pauses. But anyway, I can read. Don't lie to me, past Sarah. Anyway, again, we have this whole list of acting troops that came through Stratford at the time. He could have joined any one of them. We have this guy's will that says he was an actor in this household. So chances are he was an actor in this small troop in someone's household. Because all act. You couldn't just be an actor. You couldn't just be an acting troupe. You couldn't just put on plays. That was illegal. You had to be hired by the rich guy. Um, That's why we have, I mean, the Queen's men, the King's men, the Lord Chamberlain's men, the Earl of X's, 
um, Essex's men, Earl of Oxford's men, like, they all had men. They all had acting troops because you weren't allowed to be a traveling acting troupe without the proper patronage. You couldn't be an actor. So, like, we had... We knew where the troops were. We don't know what troop he joined or when exactly. You know, obviously at some point he ends up in the Lord Chamberlain's men because that's what happened. <laughs> like that's where that's where he was for most of his theatrical career. So yeah, like it, se- it seems like there's oh it's it's not much of a mystery because it's oh he had a child oh he was an actor what happened in between. Well, what's interesting is, especially with that will, where, like, maybe he did start as a schoolmaster because, again, he clearly was in Stratford around, at least near Stratford, until at least 1585. But then he made it big and he left that stinking family behind. (laughs) But what I'm saying is... Daddy's gonna be somebody! Stop shouting! Anyway, you weird... 40s Shakespeare he had to be around there so he, he that's why we're kind of speculating on like what his job was until he just like showed up out of nowhere in London because this is one thing we do know about and I'll say this for the sake of posterity whoever wrote the plays by Shakespeare it was William Shakespeare from Stratford he had an intimate knowledge of the theater mm-hmm like he knew the actors in the troupe he knew the stage he also like di- there's not a lot of stage direction in shakespeare plays leading most to believe he was present at the staging because then in his later plays where you know people kind of are assuming he's going back to stratford more often he has more stage direction oh Whereas Ben Johnson, like, told everybody what to do all the time because he was not sitting there staging it. Because he was a writer and not a grubby theaterman. Also, didn't he, uh, maybe it's sound better coming from you, but didn't he also accidentally write actors' names instead of characters? Yeah, yeah, Shakespeare did that. So, he, yeah, that's how we know he knew, he intimately knew the actors. He wrote parts for actors. And you can especially see that with the comedians that were in the troupe at the time, like Will Kemp. Now, what is funny is that Will Kemp left shortly before like Hamlet was written. So when Hamlet giving the instructions to the players and talks about how the clown needs to just say what he's supposed to say instead of trying to like make it a whole production about him people are like were you talking about will cap oh willie's being sneaky but you see as these different clowns come in the writing comes to their skills for a while there were actually two clowns like you actually see that in hamlet of like one of them could sing pretty well so like he sang in most of his appearances. You saw a shift in the characters according to the abilities of the actors. For example, one would assume that they had a lot of very good young male actors because some of his female roles are great. Knowing how the theater worked, he probably came on as an apprentice actor, you know, like traveled with them, learned the group. Like, we know he also acted, like, we have records of 
roles he played, even in his own plays. He didn't do it a lot, but he did it. Wait a minute, we have records of William Shakespeare from Stratford playing roles in plays by William Shakespeare of Stratford, and people are like, but did William Shakespeare of Stratford write these plays? I mean, yeah, they're generally ignore facts. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, we don't know every time because, he, you know, really, he didn't act a ton. Um, actually, I want to say there was a reference by one of his contemporaries about, like, how he wasn't, like, that great of an actor. However, the there was a reference to William Shakespeare um, said by Richard Burbage and another actor about how they really liked performing Shakespeare plays because he was a man of the theater. He knew what the audience wanted. He knew how to write something good. Interesting. Because he could see what worked. He was there. And he would also, we can see from different drafts, so we have some of the quarto versions now. Some of them are labeled as bad quartos. Who knows? Um, there are some. There's some debate over, is it a bad quarto? Is it an early draft? But that he allowed the actors to help stage and rework the plays. <laughs> But that we know, and so I, you know, it's not like he like showed up in London and was suddenly a big deal in the theater. Like he had to work his way up, and you know, again, he did write Henry the Sixth, so he like you know had to hone his craft a bit. <laughs> um, but you know, to me, like that had to have happened at some point. The question becomes, what was he doing until that point? Where again. It could have been a host of things. He could have been tutoring, or he could have been in the family business. Maybe he, after grammar school, was in the family business until he started tutoring. Because, like, you know, the 12-year-old's not going to start tutoring right away. Because uh, those are the lost years where there's no documentary evidence. But even before that, we have his marriage and the births of his children. We don't know what he was doing what was occupying his time we know that he had to have been at least some of the time in Stratford because children happened oh yeah I mean it doesn't really require him let's be honest I, yes he was there you know he was and, and at some point he moved to London and you know I think that he must have had to work his way up because it's not like he just it is possible he just like up and abandoned his family and like sent them money occasionally. But also maybe that move to London was a good move because he was being successful in the theater because he was working his way up in a well-known company. Okay. Becoming kind of their writer in residence. So just, uh, you know, working at the theater Monday through Friday coming home for the weekends i mean probably not every weekend there's because also a lot of stories there's a story um just kind of a well-known legend obviously we have no way of knowing if it ever actually happened but richard the richard burbage played i think he was playing richard the third and there was like some local lady that really enjoyed his performance so he was going back, he got invited back to her room and William Shakespeare went first. And then when Richard Burbage arrived and said something like, he referred to himself as William the Conqueror. It's like, <laughs> you know, let Richard, the, Richard know that William the Conqueror was here first or something like that. And, <laughs> 
So, definitely left for some cigarettes. Well, I mean, yes and no. I, I'm not saying he was a good dad who came home frequently to be with his kids, but I don't know that he was just like, well, peace, because he could have just left. He could have just left and gone to London and been like, bye family, figure it out. But he continued supporting them to the point where he bought a really nice house in Stratford. So, like, while I do not think he was a super stand-up family guy that we would expect a person to be today, it would have been so easy for him to disappear into London and never see his family again. Okay. So he's a complicated guy. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that's the thing. I think everybody wants to make William Shakespeare simple, and he's not because he's a person. Like at the end, I think we forget like he was a person. He was not a multitude of people. He was one person. Yes, but if he's a multitude of people, then he doesn't have any of their flaws, Sarah. Check mate. Ooh, you can't see it, audience, but her eye is twitching. I can't even say twitch right now. That made that hurt my brain so hard. Alright, well, I need to go. Uh, I broke Sarah. I'm just oh, it hurts. <laughs> so anyway, I think it's worth talking about these things. I think it's worth acknowledging. The point is we need to acknowledge gaps in the documentary evidence but we also need to understand that that is perfectly normal and in fact the amount of documentary evidence we do have for Shakespeare is abnormal that's important for people to understand like I cannot stress that enough what we know about him is weird it's weird that we know this much about him so people look at things like the lost years and say well this is evidence that if not that someone else wrote it it's at least odd they want to say it's odd they want to say it's evidence that shenanigans are happening yes and that is just fundamentally wrong like it's not odd if, any, um, if anything it's odd that we know so much yeah, it's odd. It's odd that we have the first folio. We have the first folio because Ben Johnson needed money. And the actors were like, someone should put these all together. Like, this wasn't a thing that was done at the time. Yeah, that should... You didn't just make giant books of people's plays. That just wasn't a thing. But anyway, I think that we're spoiled with Shakespeare and we want to know more and we think we should know more because we would know more if he lived today, but it's like that's when... not how that works. Not only did no one really even look for anything until 1709, like, it wasn't really until the Victorian period that we really started being like, let's make Shakespeare into this greatest writer of all of England. So it wasn't until there were real records that people were interested in Shakespeare's life. And part of that's because it wasn't until around that time that people even started caring about the biographies of writers. And I think that's a weird thing for us to think. Like, well, surely they must have been curious. Well, maybe some people were, but not enough to for anyone to bother writing it down. Thus ends another episode of Breaking Bard. Please join us next time as we discuss Romeo and Juliet, true love or horny teenagers. 
If you want to make sure you don't miss that or any future episodes, make sure to hit subscribe. If you like the podcast, please consider giving it a five-star review and sharing with your friends. If you're looking for more Shakespeare fun, please check me out on my blog at ripegoodscholar.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at ripegoodscholar. That's all for now. See you next time. And remember, our court shall be a little academic, still and contemplative in living art.